Turn in your Bibles, if you would, if you haven't figured it out yet, to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And this morning is more, if anything, it's just more of an introduction, if you would, into this year's theme. It's not really a, um, I don't know, it's just a, it's just an introduction. There you go. Um, last year, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, our theme was a firm foundation. And we used the verse in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. It said, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a firm foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, that he may, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, he that believeth shall not make haste. Most of you know that I, <clears throat> prior to being a pastor, I was a building contractor, and so uh, the theme of a foundation makes perfect sense to me. Um, as uh, as my life, I need that foundation in my life, and and this 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 year's theme with the and we'll get into it here in a minute, but with the bricks and the and the idea of continuing. Uh, it, it just it, it makes perfect sense to me that if we do not have a foundation, in fact, it's an it's an amazing thing. Um, I guess unless you're a construction person, you wouldn't notice it, but the the Bible is full of construction references. Uh, if you didn't know that, uh, and God uses word pictures in our lives to help us in our understanding of who we are and who he is. Due to the population explosion in Southern California in the early 1920s, plans were made to create a large reservoir to help meet the, the region's growing water needs. Engineer William Mulholland had it achieved a great deal of recognition <clears throat> excuse me, and respect among members of the engineering community when he supervised, designed, and constructed the largest aqueduct in the world at the time. It's, it's called the Los Angeles Aqueduct. And if you ever drive up 395 down Southern California, you'll see it. It's massive. Because of his notoriety, they needed a new engineer to develop a, a reservoir for what, what is now the Los Angeles Basin. And after conducting thorough studies and uh, topographic and geological uh, studies, Mulholland had convinced, <clears throat> excuse me, was convinced that the San Francis Cueto Canyon was uh, about 40 miles northwest of downtown Los Angeles was the ideal location. Design and construction began in 1924, and it was completed May 4th, 1926. The magnificent St. Francis Dam rose to a height of 185 feet above the canyon floor. The dam was an engineering marvel. 
the crown jewel of Mulholland's career. But there was a problem. Although Mulholland wrote of the unstable nature of the face of the canyon on the eastern side, he either misjudged or ignored it. As the water began to fill the reservoir, several uh, uh, temperature and shrinkage cracks appeared in the dam and seepage began to flow under the abatement. Mulholland and his assistant chief engineer, Harvey Van Norman, inspected the cracks and judged them to, to be within expected tolerances. Workers were ordered to seal the leaks, but they were not entirely successful. Late in 1927, a fracture appeared in the dam diagonally across the face of the dam. Mulholland inspected the crack, judged it to be another inconsequential crack, and left it alone. On March 7, 1928, yet another leak was discovered by uh, a dam employee. He was concerned not only because there was a new uh, leak, but also because the water uh, in, in this runoff was muddy, indicating possible erosion of the dam's foundation. Mulholland and Van Norman inspected the dam and, it was, uh, and its various leaks and the seepage, finding nothing out of the ordinary or concern for the large dam. Both Mulholland and Van Norman made it clear that there uh, just wasn't anything to worry about. Mulholland had a reputation to uphold. Surely, there couldn't be any critical issue with his masterpiece. Acknowledging a, a major engineering shortcomings would have jeopardized his hard-earned position and reputation. Two and a half hours before midnight on March 12, 1928, the St. Francis Dam catastrophically failed. Within 70 minutes of its collapse, the reservoir was virtually empty as 12.4 billion gallons of water surged through the St. Francis, Francis Quito Canyon, becoming a 140-foot flood wave traveling 18 miles an hour. Countless workmen and their families were, were never found. The flood left an appalling uh, record of death and destruction with hundreds of lives claimed. The St. Francis Dam disaster, which af uh, uh, effectively ended the career of William Mulholland, remained the second large, greatest loss of life in California history after the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and fire. Pride can do a lot of things. Here we see a fundamental 
problem with the foundation of this dam that caused the lives of hundreds of people. It's interesting that Paul, as he writes in the, in the Bible, he warned Timothy of a, of a continual need, if you would, to keep inspecting his foundation, if you would. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul writes this he's to, to, to Timothy. He says, Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. What is Paul? Paul here to, is talking to Timothy, young, the young pastor Timothy, and he's, he's telling him, hey, this is something that you need to continue in. For the most part, most of us, I'm not one of them because I'm weird, I guess. But most people, when you buy a house, what do you do? You hire a home inspector, right? Okay, you hire a home inspector. The home inspector comes out, gives it the, 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 the thumbs up. You move in, and most people never, ever, ever think about their foundation again. But the reality is this. No, long, no, no matter how long a foundation has been in the ground, there's always the possibility of failure. So I'm one of those weird people that I'm constantly walking around my house looking for cracks in sheetrock. And, you know, if I had stucco, I'd be looking for cracks in stucco. You, what are you laughing at? Uh, <clears throat> I, just, I just do that. I'm constantly, quote-unquote, inspecting the foundation of my home. Now, one of the things, <clears throat> and I, I talked about this before, but let me ask you a question. How do you know that the house that you live in or the apartment or whatever you live in has a foundation? How do you know that? Well, no, most foundations are, are in the ground. You can't see it. Okay, because the walls are standing. Okay? <laughs> if there was no foundation, what would happen over time? The, the house would, would ha have major settling issues. So the fact that your house is standing relatively normally is a great indication that there's a foundation under there, right? See, we don't see... If, if, if your foundation fails apart from a, a flood or something like that, but if you have a, failed, uh, a failure crack in your foundation, how do you know? Okay, your house, you, you know, uh, windows start not opening and closing well. Door, door frames start, your doors start to go crazy on you. Sheetrock will crack. My point is this. <clears throat> if, you have a, if you have a failed foundation, you, know, you very seldom see it in the foundation. You see it in other parts of the house. Right? Now, let's make a personal application to this. If we, as people of faith, 
have a failure in our spiritual foundation, how do we know? Because can anybody really see our foundation, spiritually speaking? No. It is the peripheral things in our lives that indicate we have a a deeper problem, just like in your house. The fact that you maybe quit reading your Bible, the fact that you maybe you, you you just quit coming to church or I mean you you fill in the blank. It could be it could be just about anything. But those are peripheral things that are indicating a deeper problem. Cracks in a foundation can be catastrophic for a home, for a building of any sort. But let me say this. The catastrophic tragedy to me that is worse is when we have cracks in the foundations of our lives. A building you can tear down and rebuild, but a destroyed life is just that. We cannot ignore the cracks in our foundations. Even though we're moving on to a new theme, it's, it's really basically kind of carrying that theme along as we go. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul tells Timothy, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Don't stop. Continue. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So needless to say, over the next however long it takes us, we're going to be talking about this idea of continuing. And we're going to be uh, using the life of Daniel in the Bible to help us understand the fact that he continued. After watching Daniel's life for years, through the hard times, the good times, the whatever times you want to talk about, King Darius, in Daniel chapter 6, makes an incredible observation about Daniel's life. Let's read Daniel chapter 6. Let's read the whole verse. This this what we have on the on the banner is only the <laughs> the last half of the verse. Verse 16 it says, Then the king commanded and brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. So let's stop right there. Um we're and, and we're gonna come back in in time and we're gonna revisit this, but I wanna I wanna stop here for a second because oftentimes we we misunderstand what's taking place here in, in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel 
was um, uh, his, his, for lack of better terms, his co-workers were jealous of Daniel and his success. And, he, and, and they wanted him killed, but they, Daniel was too powerful of an individual for them to just go out and assassinate because then the king would get really mad and kill them. So they had to come up with a clever plan to do it, and they did, and, and they tricked the king and everything. So anyway, long story short, because Daniel violated, quote-unquote, the law, He was thrown into a den of lions. Now, this den of lions is not a lion's den. It's not a singular lion. It is a den full of lions. And what they would do in this culture is they would take lions and they would starve them almost to the point of death so that when someone broke the law or whatever, and they put him in the den with the lions, the lions would then devour the individual and just literally rip him to shreds. So that is the picture here, knowing that Daniel was going to be cast into this den full of ravening lions, Listen to what the king says. Says, now the king spake and said unto Daniel, excuse me, said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. He will deliver thee. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You again for Your love, for the work You do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at Your Word this morning, we ask that You would speak to our hearts, that You would challenge us, and that You would help us to draw close to You. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Recently, we have heard of earthquakes in Japan. I remember back in the early 90s, 1990s, I went to Kobe, Japan to help rebuild a Bible college that had been destroyed by the earthquake that hit Kobe back in the early 90s. I've seen the destruction uh, that an earthquake can do in Japan. The houses are very, very close together. Their building techniques are very different than ours, so... When earthquakes happen, they, the houses just collapse. It's really pretty sad, actually. And watching the news this last couple week or so, uh, memories have flooded back to me of the devastation that took place in Japan this last week or so. Every year we we see on the news the tornadoes that hit the Midwest mostly. And in a blink of an eye, boom, houses are just turned into toothpicks. And people's memories, things that they've worked for for their whole lives are just gone in a matter of seconds. 
we've seen in history how an assassin's bullet can change the course of a country in a matter of moments. We see how a drunk driver can turn a family upside down with unbelievable tragedy. We hear the news from a doctor of a medical report or something along that line and our hearts stop. Wars in the Middle East and all over the place in Africa. Changing world history in the course of everything. Personal catastrophes. A world that is seemingly spinning out of control. And I could go on and on and on. All these things can cause us to think that God is absent or even maybe even powerless. Twenty five hundred years ago, Daniel, probably twelve, thirteen years old. Most theologians that I've been reading believe he was a young teen, maybe 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 a little younger than that, but most most think he was twelve, thirteen years old when his world was ripped out from under him. Turn over to Daniel chapter 1. When these things hit us, and they, and they do hit us, it can cause us to say, God, where are you? Daniel chapter 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Asbanas, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed and of princes, children in whom no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace to whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank 
So nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel, in a moment, lost everything. Because of the sin of the nation of Israel, God God said, okay, you're not going to live for me, then I'm going to turn you over to the, to the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes the city, the last remaining city, and he takes the, these, these, these children uh, captive. And for three years, he is going to train them and teach them but I want you to think about this because this is absolutely critical to understanding the life of Daniel. In a moment, Daniel lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his friends. For that culture, this is, this is really, really important. He lost his community. He lost everything. He even lost his manhood because God turned him in, or because Nebuchadnezzar turned him into a eunuch. Can you imagine at the age of 12 or 13, literally losing everything that you know? as normal. Everything. Parents, friends, family, everything is absolutely gone. Everything except one thing. His faith. Daniel had his faith. And as we develop this over the next several weeks, <clears throat> we're going to see that this faith was something that, that <clears throat> never failed him. In all the struggles of life that he will encounter, his faith would always stand strong. Oftentimes when things happen in our lives, and and I'm here to tell you, if your life is not upside down right now, hold on. Okay? Life happens to all of us. We all understand that life just kind of happens. And when life happens and our, our worlds get turned upside down, <clears throat> it's easy to ask, God, where are you? Right? The other thing that we tend to ask is, why me? That, that kind of is my default one. Why me? I'm a pastor. I shouldn't have to go through this. 
I, I think God gets a chuckle out of that whenever I say stupid things like that. Why me? We see that Daniel, as 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 again as we unfold this, that like uh, like I said at the beginning, this is like an introduction message here. But what we will see as we study the life of Daniel, Daniel never, at least is not recorded, Daniel never questions God. We never see Daniel pointing his finger at God and saying, God, why, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to, at the age of 12 or 13, why do I have to be ripped away from everything that I know? To go to a, a heathen land and, and learn the, the teachings of a, of a heathen culture. Why do I have to do this? We never see that. In fact, out of all the main characters in the Bible, there's only a small handful of them who we never see anything negative about. Daniel is one of the few that we never see anything negative about him. In fact, we actually see him in really good company. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, the Bible says, uh, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, uh, were in it, they should uh, deliver by their own souls, by their Righteousness, saith the Lord God. Daniel is listed with Noah and Job. You can't get any better than that. Now, I do want to add a personal note here. I don't want you to think that Daniel was superhuman and that he never wondered why. Okay? Because the reality is he had to have wondered why. Because he's human. He's not supernatural. He he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to just absolutely ignore the things that were going on. Daniel had to have an internal question. In fact, the Bible never says it's wrong to ask God why. In fact, if anything, it tells us to ask God why. But the thing about Daniel is Daniel never questioned God like Job. Job was, or or I shouldn't say questioned, but doubted. That's probably a better word. Job and Daniel both never doubted God's goodness. In Job chapter 1 and verse 20, after losing everything, Job <clears throat> says this, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down to the ground. And what, did he, what was the first thing he did? He worshiped God. And said, Naked came I into my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. And the Lord gave, 
and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And the same thing can be said about Daniel. Continue is the title of, of my introductory message to the, this morning. <clears throat> and as I was thinking and meditating and praying over this idea of continuing, I had a, I had a picture in my mind, and as, as I, I typed it into the Internet and, and, and Google, Google, and I started looking at images because I wanted this type of image, this idea of a, of a bricklayer. And the reason for that is, how do you build a brick wall? Huh? One brick at a time. That's my first point this morning. One brick at a time. You don't see a lot of bricks around here. Okay, <laughs> just saying. But where I lived and where I was a building contractor in South Carolina, most homes were brick. And I hired a lot of brick, brick masons in my day. And, and the one thing that I've always, I could never be a bricklayer, just saying, okay? Because I, I would go start raving mad, putting a brick down. It would drive me crazy. That's how you build a brick wall. One brick at a time. Daniel chapter 6. Turn back, if you would, to Daniel chapter 6. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Daniel chapter 6 is, as King Darius was watching the life of Daniel over time, what, what was the thing that, that, that Darius observed in the life of Daniel? Daniel, over the course of the time that, that Daniel served Darius, he saw Daniel time after time after time after time after time trust his God. And he saw Daniel building his life one brick at a time. So when it came time for Daniel to be thrown into the den of lions, it was understandable that this king, this pagan king, would recognize Daniel's character. Daniel is an interesting book in the sense that and and when you read the book of Daniel there's a couple of things that you need to understand and that is the life of Daniel I've already mentioned uh, two of the kings that he served he served at least four different kings some of the theologians that I've read have added a few other kings in there but they're really 
uh, insignificant kings, if he even served them. But we basically, he served four kings. He started with Nebuchadnezzar and then Belteshazzar. But those two were Babylonian kings. So he served, he started when he was taken captive. <coughs> he was under King Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire. Well, shortly after, uh, Belteshazzar becomes king. And <clears throat> then the Persians take over the Babylonian Empire. And under the Babylonian or the, uh, the Persian Empire, Daniel serves Darius, who the king here in, in chapter 6. And then he also serves Cyrus. So he serves four different kings for the most part and two different empires. So as you're reading the book of Daniel, you kind of have to understand what's going on because there's different kings and there's different events going on. So it's really easy to get confused. So just kind of plug that away in the back of your mind. But as we go through the life of Daniel, we will see that Daniel's continual faithfulness is the, is the eventually the thing that defined his life. Paul understood this truth when he wrote in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Wherefore, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every uh, weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Chris, can you put verse one back up, please? There's a couple of words or phrases in here I want to I want to talk about very very quickly here. I'm running out of time. Um, I want to talk about the word patience. The, the idea of patience here literally means to be steadfast. The, the, the power to withstand uh, hardship or stress. It's that inward uh, fortitude necessary to do the hard thing, so to speak. Patience. Run, let us run with patience. The, the, the race that God is giving us is not a it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And we need to run with patience. The second thing I want you to see is the word race. The word race here, uh, run with patience, the race. The word race here is the race. It, it, it literally means conflict or life. As life happens, let us run with patience the conflict or the, as the life that God has given us. And then he goes on and he says, the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us. This is a predetermined race. What he's saying here, and we're going to actually going to talk about this some tonight as well. But what he's, what he's not saying is, hey, why don't you just go out, out, out in the desert and just start running and see where you end up. That's not a race, is it? Or, or okay, we're going to shoot the gun and everybody's going to take off and 
you just run until you're tired and then you come back and whoever gets back first wins. That's not a race. A race is a predetermined course. And God has a course for your life. Number one, one brick at a time. My second point is really, really theologically deep. Chris is smiling back there because he sees it. Not only do you build your life one brick at a time, you build your life one row at a time. You think, okay, Pastor, that's really weird. No, actually it's not. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 16, we see again the life of Daniel being, being observed by the king. And what does the king say? He makes a statement at the end of this verse. And <clears throat> he says this. He says, He will deliver you. He will deliver you. And here this pagan king has watched the life of Daniel, the brick-by-brick life of Daniel. And he gets to the point where Daniel's life is being threatened. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I can just see Daniel being very calm and walking over to the mouth of the den of lions and saying, okay, I'll, I'll jump in. You don't have to throw me. I'm not worried. Every brick wall that I've ever seen built is done one row at a time. One brick at a time, one row at a time. Anybody know why? For spacing, for one thing, okay. Because <laughs> you want to keep everything even. But if you started on a brick wall and you built the middle like a pyramid, what would happen to the lower bricks? It would fall apart. And, and you, you may be sitting there thinking, okay, you totally lost me. That, and that's fine. The, the, my point is this. If you look at the poster, what is between the bricks? Mortar. Mortar, if you haven't figured it out yet, is pretty soft. Until when? Until it starts to dry. And if you build a wall, a brick wall, too fast, you'll have a major collapse. God wants to build your wall this year. But it's going to be one brick at a time and one row at a time. That's how he works in our lives. How did Daniel get to the point in his life? Now, I want you to think about this. How did Daniel get to the point in his life where he could look down into a den of lions, lions that had been starved half to death, and not be worried. Because he had allowed God 
to build his life one brick at a time, one row at a time. And there have been, there have been seasons in my life that I have looked and, and I've, I've told God, God, I don't understand why I, I'm needing to go through this season of life. And for, for lack of better terminology, God looks at me and he says, God, he says, Rick, he says, this is just a row of bricks in your life that you're going to need later. And that's how God works in our lives. One brick at a time, one row at a time. And we go through things in life periodically and we struggle through things in life periodically. But there's always a reason. And the question that I asked earlier, God, why me? Or is there even a God? All those questions... One brick at a time, one row at a time. Earlier I mentioned a guy named William Mulholland. And because of pride, he allowed his pride to cloud his judgment. And it cost the lives of hundreds of people when the dam collapsed. As we study the life of Daniel, we're going to see a man with enduring faith. And he allowed God the, the opportunity to work in his life on a continual basis. I trust that this year will be a help to you and a blessing to you. I've enjoyed doing the study and getting ready for it all. And, it's, and, and we're going to see some really, really awesome things this year. I'm looking forward to what God has for us. But let me ask you this in closing. Are you willing to let God do His work in your life? One brick at a time, one row at a time. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love and for the work You do. And Lord, we are so thankful and grateful for all that You do in our lives. And Lord, as we bring our service to a conclusion this morning, I, I do ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us this year. Challenge us this year to allow you the opportunity to do great things in our lives. Thank you for your love. And thank you for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray.